Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You're only as good as your word, and he stands by his. This is The Roy Green Show. There's been a lot of Twitter activity at the Roy Green Show on my uh, Twitter account and an email, Roy at RoyGreenShow.com, on the uh, issue of the Conservative Party of Canada and Mr. Andrew Scheer, the leader, dumping Maxime Bernier, who was second to him with 49% of the vote and only 66 votes away from being the leader himself, uh, dumping Maxime Bernier into the political gulag. We're going to be talking about that tomorrow specifically. And I again wanted to remind you that on Twitter I've invited both Andrew Scheer and Maxime Bernier to be on the program tomorrow, separately, probably. Uh, I haven't heard a word from Mr. Scheer. I'm probably going to say they weren't aware of my Twitter account. Sure you're not. I did hear back from uh, Maxime Bernier, and I read you the direct message a little earlier. I'll just do it again. It's online. Hi, Roy. Thanks a lot for the offer, but I prefer not to give any interviews for now, Max. Appreciate that, that he's holding his fire for now, but uh, I'm sure there's going to be a lot said, and I hope that he does come on the show in the near future. I think Mr. Shear was terribly wrong in making the decision that he did. It is time for Catherine Swift, WorkingCanadians.ca. Linda Leatherdale, at Linda Leatherdale on Twitter, Vice President of Cambria Canada, former money editor of the Toronto Sun. Catherine, the former president and CEO of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. And Michelle Simpson, who used to be the seatmate for President uh, President uh, Trudeau. That's about what it is. Yeah, and and you had to make sure that every hair was perfectly in place, right? Did he he ever ask you about that? Did he ever say, do I look good? Oh, yeah. Yeah? (laughs) You you don't think? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. He'd say, how do I look? They and, definitely wouldn't be giving you a washroom when you talk like that. And, and, <laughs> and what did you say, Michelle, when he said, how, how do I look? Um, honestly, I pretended I didn't hear him. <laughs> so I never responded. Like I said, he came in a linen suit that was white into the house with um, Birkenstocks. And I said to him, you look like Panama Jack. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. This is, oh, this is a great way to start. <laughs> Catherine Swift, Linda Leatherdale, Michelle Simpson. Um, I want to play back for you in a couple of minutes, 90 seconds of a conversation we had with Brad Batten, who's an Australian member of parliament who joined us last year and spoke to us about why Australia got rid of the carbon tax, its carbon tax, that it had had in place for some two years. Do we, we hear something in the background? Who's got, somebody got a radio on or? No. No, not me. No. I think you've, the studio, maybe you've got something on that you shouldn't have on. Okay. Um, 
Let me begin uh, with this. Why? And I played the clip earlier, Lisa Raitt asking Justin Trudeau during question period about yeah. whether or not Donald Trump had, in fact, uh, made a commitment to Mr. Trudeau that no sunset clause was necessary in, in the NAFTA agreement. And uh, did, uh, did, did Donald Trump, in fact, make that kind of commitment to Justin Trudeau? Mr. Trudeau didn't answer the question. He talked around it, talked around it, talked around it. Michelle, what do you make of that? Yeah, you know, Roy, I don't trust any of them. (laughs) And I'm not sure she's wrong, but I I don't, I I think I don't trust any of them to tell the truth. What was interesting, though, about this whole question of whether or not the Sunset Clause was offered up by Trump as a you know, appeasement or whatever, was that it was a story reported on CBC, of all places, mm-hmm. initially. That was the source, and then, of course, it got discussed beyond that. But, I mean, you know, CBC isn't exactly the <laughs> liberal-hating, <laughs> you know, uh, media outlet out there. So the fact that it, 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 it was reported by other Canadians who were supposedly in the room, like like diplomats or, you know, senior people involved with NAFTA. So, frankly, what I thought about it was when Trudeau refused to, you know, confirm or deny, I guess you could say, to me that meant it probably was offered. Because if it wasn't offered, why would he just say, no, it wasn't, and and put it to bed? Yeah, I I agree with that. And I also think that, and I said this earlier, Linda, and that may be utterly, totally too cynical, but I have a feeling that Mr. Trudeau memorizes certain uh, expected uh, answers to certain expected questions. So he is expecting Talking X numbers point. of questions, right? And he's, he's given answers that he's supposed to give that won't get him into trouble, and he memorizes the answers. That's why he never deviates from the script. Well, I, I, I listened, Roy, to that whole thing, and it's like, come on. He never answered the question, which typically he doesn't. Um, but going back to the Sunset Clause, you know, Roy, whether Trump offered it up or not, i got to say I'm kind of in favor of it because I think for democracy and for people to have the vote, I, I, you know, NAFTA, yes, it's very important to Canada. Yes, it's important to all of us. But let's not forget, there were people who were opposed to it when, when Brian Moroney first was ushering in at the same time we got the GST. I remember this. And I think for democracy, we should review it every five years. Well, not only that, Linda, and and I never understood this being some kind of line in the sand for Trudeau. It didn't make sense because the existing trade deal already has built into it measures that if any party wants to get out of it, they can do so. And there's certain, you know, there's certain procedures to follow. But it's not as if, you know, there aren't things along those lines currently built into it yeah, and a five-year a five-year sunset clause was not going to require. It wasn't a question of reviewing it. It was going to be should it be renewed? Yeah, and that's the scary. It's a big part. difference. It's yeah. for investment. The, the investors from outside the country or inside the country, they still look at five years. You know what I need to do? I need to play this for because people will have joined us since the last time we aired this. So we're going to play it back for you now. Lisa Raitt asking the Prime Minister whether or not Donald Trump had offered a NAFTA agreement without a sunset clause. Listen. 
Mr. Speaker, there are reports that President Trump withdrew the five-year sunset clause negotiating tool within NAFTA negotiations. Can the Prime Minister indicate whether this is true? Right, Honourable Prime Minister. Mr. Speaker, I thank the member opposite for the question. Uh, allow me to first begin by thanking uh, the members of the opposition, indeed all Canadians, for demonstrating that uh, when the moment is right, we all stand together firmly to support Canadians across party lines, across the country, across all provinces. It is a very clear I can uh, say that we are continuing uh, to discuss modernizing and improving NAFTA. Uh, we've continued to make it clear that a uh, final sunset clause is uh, unacceptable, that we cannot sign a trade deal uh, that automatically expires every five years. Uh, but we continue to look for ways to move forward to modernize and improve NAFTA for people on both sides of the border. Honourable Member for Milton. So, Mr. Speaker, we understand Canada's position that it's very difficult to sign a trade deal that sunset after five years. But the crux of the question is this: Did the President of the United States remove this demand from negotiating table? Sure. Yes or no? Sure. Honourable Prime Minister. Mr. Speaker, uh, I had a meeting with the President on Friday afternoon in which we had uh, a very constructive conversation on a broad range of issues. We've continued uh, to impress upon how important it is to, uh, to modernize and improve NAFTA, and we will continue to engage on a broad range of issues uh, where Canada is uh, standing firm, uh, where the United States is uh, looking for concessions. We're going to continue to work and demonstrate that, uh, no, we will not accept a sunset clause in NAFTA. So... I know how he normally speaks, and I know that wasn't normal Justin Trudeau speak. Do uh, you tell me what you think, Michelle? Does that sound like it was memorized? No. Anytime you hear him gasping, like he's drowning, <gasps> that tells me it wasn't rehearsed. Okay, I'll look for that in the future. Yep. I don't know. It sounded like it was rehearsed to me. He said the same thing over and over again, and he didn't answer the question. Yeah. Well, yeah. who does it? What politician answers the question? <laughs> so, well, like they say about question periods, I'll it's tell you. Not who, I'll, I'll tell you. Yeah. I'll tell you who answers questions. Scott Moe of Saskatchewan. <laughs> oh yeah. He does. He's been on this program on a, on three occasions now. And I ask him a question, I get an answer immediately. No, no vacillating, no dilly-dallying and shilly-shallying or whatever yeah. else it is. He answers the question. Let oh, me take I a quick break. Know. Let me take a quick break, Catherine, and okay. we're going to come back with the beauties with Catherine Swift, Linda Leatherdale, Michelle Simpson. We also want to ask about, uh, talk to them about Justin Trudeau. And this is, he's the Prime Minister of Canada, so it's important that we address this. The former ISIS member, the individual who claims to have been a former ISIS member and who's living in Toronto and now is back in touch apparently with the New York Times podcasters and has told them that he remains a devout adherent to ISIS and their goals and admits to the New York Times and podcasts that he committed murder for ISIS. He's saying it again. So why is he not being arrested? Why is there no official interest in this individual? We'll talk to Catherine, Linda, and Michelle about that, and I'm still going to play back for you what uh, Brad Batten, the Australian Member of Parliament, told us about why Australia dumped its carbon tax. One of the most respected and experienced broadcasters in the industry, this is The Roy Green Show. 
Back with Catherine Swift, WorkingCanadians.ca. Michelle Simpson, at Michelle Simpson, former Liberal Member of Parliament and uh, fashion critic for the Prime Minister. And Linda Leatherdale, former money editor, Toronto Sun, Vice President, Cambria, Canada. So the carbon tax, huge issue in this country. Have a listen. And I had last year spoke with Brad Batten, who's an Australian member of parliament. And he was on the show talking specifically about why Australia dropped its carbon tax. Here's what he said. Uh, we had a, uh, some reviews on that carbon tax. At the time, Tony Abbott was our leader federally um, and obviously won the election uh, on the axe to tax was his uh, his slogan during that time. The carbon tax, when it was brought in, uh, and very similar to the position you're in now with um, Justin Trudeau, there was no case studies, there was no groundwork done, there was no understanding how it was going to affect business, how it was going to affect families, particularly with costs and increased electricity. And then the result of that was businesses started to um, get concerned about what was going to happen with their future and how much it was going to um, cost them in the long run. The centre-left parties or the left-wing parties were trying to sell it that the cost of this was just, an, you know, the big businesses were going to pay and the big businesses were going to have to um, work out ways to either save on carbon or pay out of their own pockets, a bit of a penalty for them. The reality was uh, all of us know big businesses pass on those costs and that goes down to family homes. So that was when we got involved more and more from the uh, the Liberal Party over here now, obviously people over there have to understand the Liberal Party over here is a centre-right party, not a centre-left. So we actually started to focus on how that was going to affect families um, and the actual costs on that. And there was a range in how much it was going to cost, but the implementation of it was going to cost about $150 per year to a family. That was going to increase, increase quite quickly. On the same model over there with the scaling of the carbon tax, that was going to increase quite quick, quickly to over $1,000 per family estimated. So that's from Australia, from Brad Batten. The Australians also printed this. Repealing the carbon tax and the clean energy package is designed to boost Australia's economic growth. This was the federal government's writing. Increase jobs and enhance Australia's international competitiveness by removing an unnecessary tax which hurts businesses and families. This is two years after they had been living with the carbon tax. Catherine, you're the economist. Well... (laughs) It's not just, um, you know, it's not just Australia. We've seen a number of countries. I remember Spain. Spain found, and they were early adopters of a carbon tax as well. They found that for every green job, because, you know, we're always promised there's going to be these wonderful green jobs created by a carbon tax. Um, And what they found in Spain, for example, was for every one green job created, uh, they lost six in the rest of the economy. <laughs> so, obviously, a big loser. Yeah. We see Germany, another early adopter, now building coal plants like crazy. Uh, it seems that virtually, well, every single country that I'm aware of that, ado- that went into some version of, of a carbon tax, cap and trade, whatever, prior to Canada, has backed off it because they realize it hurts the economy, it hurts average people big time, hurts everybody's pocketbook. We've seen what's happened in Ontario with skyrocketing hydro. It's disgraceful, really. Disgraceful that, you know, political decisions of governments that are based on... One thing I loved about what you just played there, Roy, he said there was no studies done. Well, what did we see in the House of Commons last week? Well, exactly, exactly. Let me read you... Let me just read you... Let me read you something, uh, beauties. Jason Kenney posted this. And he writes, this may explain why Justin Trudeau and his allies are fighting so hard to conceal the cost of their carbon tax. Uh, um, Laurie Goldstein from The Sun, great guy, 
I've known Laurie for many, many years, just a tremendous journalist. Uh, he wrote a column called Trudeau's Secret Carbon Price Exposed, just quoting from what uh, Jason Kenney placed on his Twitter account. According to the National Post, Environment and Climate Change Minister Catherine McKenna was advised by experts in her department after taking office that reaching Trudeau's goal of reducing Canada's emissions to 30% below 2005 levels by 2030 would require a national carbon price of $100 by 2020, not $50 by 2022. In that context, University of Calgary economist Jennifer Winters estimates the annual cost of a $100 carbon price on the average Canadian household are Ontario $1,414, Alberta $2,223, British Columbia $1,206, Quebec $1,324, Saskatchewan $2,065, Nova Scotia $2,240, New Brunswick $1,929, Newfoundland and Labrador $1,718, Prince Edward Island $1,577, and Manitoba $1,367. So every family would be significantly economically impacted, Linda, by a carbon tax of a, or a price of $100 by 2020, not $50 by 2022. Unbelievable. You know, Catherine said it, Ontario, that's why we just had this election. That's why that hydro and the cost for families was a lightning rod. And to, ha- to say, so here I say, here, here, Doug Ford, he's promising to get rid of this. That's what Ontario needs. He also says we're going to get tough on any of the polluters. Yeah. There's ways and means of doing it, but yes. The families are overburdened, right. and New Zealand saw it. Catherine's right. Other countries know it. And consumers account for two-thirds of our economy. Yeah. We're taxed to death. We need a break. We don't need higher And, tax. Michelle, this affects every province across Canada, every province. Yeah, but you know what? We have cap-and-trade. We don't have a carbon tax yet. But that's where Doug Ford has to be careful because... Justin Trudeau can impose whatever he wants. And good luck with that in October of 2019. Well, exactly. That, that's that's right. the kicker. And frankly, I think Ford would be smart. And cap, by the way, cap and trade, it, where it's been implemented around the world, Europe being a good example, has been a, a total fiasco. Corporations yeah. have made it. No, I agree. Yep. And Sammy Wilson, who was the former uh, environment minister and uh, um, finance minister for Northern Ireland was on the show talking about it as being a total disaster for his country and that country's economy. Beauties, that's it. Oh, no. Oh, oh is that oh, it? Shot. That's it. Okay. That's it for this week, but we'll talk again next Saturday. Absolutely. Y'all are yeah. the best. I love that photograph of the golf course, Catherine. Yeah, it was great fun. <laughs> okay, take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye.